Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Um, Today is a little bit of an unexpected episode for me. We are going to go into Salt Lake City. We're going to go into Heather Gay and the various conflicts that she is finding herself at the center of. And I'm calling it a bit of a surprising episode because I'd actually planned on waiting a minute before diving into Salt Lake City. I tend to like to let the storylines play out for a while before digging my teeth into them just so we can get more information and more context and all that sort of stuff. Um, But I have just found myself so drawn to Heather's (laughs) way of navigating the various conflicts on the show this season, Um, in particular how charged she's been getting, in particular, um, I mean, not just in relationship to the stuff with Whitney, even the stuff with Lisa Barlow and her father. And I just became aware of an impulse in me to start untangling some of these threads. So my sense of this is that this is actually going to be the first part of a two-part Heather Gay deep dive, let's just say. This is going to be setting the stage for exploration to come. We're going to start digging stuff up here. If it's like an archaeological dig, we're going to be digging into the dirt. We're going to be dusting off some fossils. We're going to be tagging the evidence, posing questions. And then my image is that once the season has a chance to unfold more, then I'll reconvene and we can go even deeper into it. Um, The other little fun fact about this episode that I'll reveal is that I was originally thinking it might just be a solo episode, but then I was thinking about it and I realized, you know, I, I, I am someone, anyone who's listened to this podcast from the beginning knows I've never been a Heather Stan to use the lingo. I've always felt a a certain distance uh, between Heather and me. And um, conversely, I've also always had a soft spot for Lisa Barlow. So I just realized, you know, in the interest of wanting to bring in other voices that could round out the conversation and perhaps guard against any of my own personal biases as a human (laughs) being and a television viewer, I thought I'd bring someone else along on this ride. And I thought, who better to join me than returning guest Emily Hanks of She Speaks Bravo, who I always think of as having very um, thoughtful, smart, and fair takes that tend to be grounded in what I would call the facts of the situation. She's someone who really looks at what's going on. And my experience of her is that, yeah, you are not swayed by um, whom you might happen to like or not like. Like me, you like to look at the, the, the nuts and bolts of what's actually going on and to draw your deductions from that. So I thought, who better than Emily to, to join me on this first phase of exploring the incredibly what I'm calling complicated world of Heather Gay. So having said that, 
Welcome, Emily. Thank you. I love that. I'm honored that you called me fair. That's my favorite adjective to use to describe my opinions. Okay. Well, then I'm feeling it for a reason, right? Because you, uh, yeah. you embody that and you bring that to your I content. I pride myself on that. Yes. Because I don't, even when I have a favorite, if the fact is reality TV stars are flawed and that's what makes them interesting. So even our favorites have to be flawed in order to be interesting. And so everyone is going to make a mistake here and there. Heather, her first season, like I was like, I am Heather. I relate to her. Oh my God. When Jen went all crazy at the twenties party, Whitney's twenties party and was screaming and yelling and Sharif was going to come pick her up. And Heather was on the phone trying to get, figure out where Sharif was. She goes, just look for me. I'm the flapper with cankles. I was like, Oh, she's my person. But then we got to the reunion that mm. first season. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, no, some something's not right here. Mm -hmm. And then I came around on Lisa Barlow because Lisa Barlow triggered me because I was like, she's she's mean. I, I got, but then I realized this is, this is what I always say. I'm a Heather Gay who wants to be a Lisa Barlow. Mm. Like she's got like Lisa Barlow would trigger a Heather. Because right. Heather is, as you, you said it perfectly in your, I think you posted it yesterday or day before about what you're, you were tapping into Heather. She's just, she's not centered in herself as where Lisa Barlow is just perfectly <laughs> centered in herself while also kind of like unaware a little bit too, perfectly unaware. But Heather is so aware. Heather is so aware of everyone around her. And once that season one happened, I was like, mm, I'm, I'm catching on to something. I got so much heat, too. At this season two reunion, I made a post of the Mean Girls. And I made it. I think it was Jen Shaw was Regina George. Heather was um, Gretchen Wieners. And I think Whitney was the other one. Oh, my God. The fans ate me alive. Oh, really? Ate me alive. I have not received that much flack from my uh, my emotional distance from there because, like I said, I was one of the few people who never, mm -hmm. you know, I never really, I mean, as a TV viewer, I, I get so mindful now of how I speak about these people because they are real people. And then I, I don't know if this happens for you, but the more that I realize they are listening and they are hearing this, I just become so mindful of how I speak about them. But yeah, as a TV viewer, I never warmed up to Heather, but certainly saw what everyone else saw. I mean, I got it. I was like, she's charming. She's funny. She's likable. And that was almost my issue. It was this feeling for me, you know, I'm as an intuitive, there's different levels of receiving intuitive information. So clairvoyance, for example, is people who primarily get intuitive or psychic information through images. If you're clairaudient, you hear things like you'll hear whispers in your ear. I am primarily what's called clairsentient, which means my primary vessel for receiving intuition is my body. So I literally get gut feelings in my body that tell me things. And there are certain cast members on these shows Brittany from Vanderpump Rules was one. Margaret Josephs from Real Housewives of New Jersey was another. Um, I kind of even feel this way a little bit about that guy, Jason, on Winter House now. But there's certain people where when I'm watching them, I'm taking in what they're presenting. And it's like, it looks good. It sounds good. You're saying all the right fucking things. And something in me is just in my body is literally saying to me, 
no, <laughs> this isn't, you are presenting something that's not fully true. And I do not believe what you're saying. And I feel like this is what it is. I feel like you're so aware of how everything looks and sounds. And you know all the right things to say to mm-hmm. present a certain way, but it's disowning a lot of other stuff that's going on underneath. And that was just my feeling um, off Heather from the beginning. And then I think for me, connecting that with this is a woman by her own admission who's always been invested in being like the good girl, the good Mormon, being perfect. Now, her journey on the show, as she describes it, and part of what I want to start getting into on this episode is what do we even believe at this point of what Heather says? But we'll get to that. Yeah. But, you know, part of her journey, as she's described it, is that she was the good, perfect Mormon who was willing to break away and, you know, as she calls herself now, be the bad Mormon. But what I was aware of, it's like even in that journey as like a real housewife now, she is saying all the right things. Everyone loves her. And I've got this gut feeling that something's kind of off here, but then I'm watching her become this fan favorite. So on the one hand, she's saying like, I'm willing to be imperfect. I'm willing to no longer be the good girl. But then I'm watching you be this favorite real housewife. And there was just something dinging in me around that, around you're still, you're still doing it. Like you're still playing the part of the one who's perfect, the one who's good, the one who's right. And my sense of her is she's so smart and adept at this that she'll also know when to be self-deprecating, that she'll know when to take responsibility for things, that she'll know, like, she'll be one of those people who says, I, yeah, like, I know I'm flawed because she's smart enough to know she has to say that in order to be good. Right. It's not authentic. She doesn't. She's doing it as a manipulation tactic almost. Exactly. Now, again, this is one of the questions I'm holding to what if I'm right, to what degree is she conscious of this? To what degree is she not conscious of this? I don't know. But I'm just speaking Mm. now to that. That was my impression of her and from her from the beginning. And then to your point, yes, when that first reunion happened. Those reunions, I don't know what happens to her in those reunions, but they become a vehicle and a vessel for her rage where that mask starts to slip. And so then seeing that first reunion and then, you know, watching her last season too, just the way that she was showing up for Jen, which to me felt like she was trying to stick it to Lisa Barlow. And then everything she and Whitney were doing around questioning Meredith's father's memorial, but then pinning it on Lisa. Like, so much started to accumulate and accumulate. So by the time we got to the second season reunion, I certainly have had Mm. zero trust Mm. in her. And I kind of felt like everything Mm. that I've sensed in some way is playing out. But I will say, just to kind of wrap up my sort of introductory, catching people up to speed on where I have been at with Heather coming into season three, I will say, even with all my doubts and even with my lack of trust because she is so good at what she does. And because there is something that can be so genuinely charming about her. I sometimes, I don't know if it's that I question myself, but I I haven't always known how to hold these different parts of her because there are these moments where I'm sitting there watching my TV thinking to myself, Oh no, she really like, she really is witty and she really is self-aware and she's really saying something that's insightful now. And I'm trying to square that with these gut feelings that I'm having and these other threads that I'm seeing. So I just haven't known what to make of her. She's been a very confusing experience for me. The only thing I've known, the consistent through line for me is I don't, (laughs) I don't trust what you want me to believe. So that's where I was coming into season three. So 
Yeah, I know I just said a lot. Oh, no, no. My neck hurts from nodding along. You are dead on with what you just said. First of all, wait, real quick, though. When you said about Jason on Winter House, mm-hmm. agreed. Oh, really? Same thing. Oh, yeah. I just well, I did, When I recapped it with uh, my friend Pia yesterday, we talked about that. We're just like, he's just... It's not authentic. It's, he's like he's cert- he's trying so hard to be the guy to just be the guy. The nice okay. guy who cooks for everyone. Cooks and and does everything. Like he brought out the shots that Craig made and then he was like cleaning up and then he was uh, it's just a lot. It's just But anyway, that's another that's another episode. <laughs> what you were saying about once in a while she's like so, Heather, she's so self-aware. And I'm like, oh, okay, here, here we go. Okay, maybe she does. But then she contradicts herself to such extremes that I get so confused. For example, the opening episode, we get her going to lunch with Lisa Barlow, claiming that she, if Lisa calls, I answer. If she's if she's scraping the bottom of the barrel to come to me, then it must be bad. So I'm like, okay, so how you're self-deprecating and saying you would be there for Lisa Barlow. You led the brigade against Lisa Barlow at that reunion. You were so excited that everyone was against Lisa Barlow at that reunion. Then as soon as she gets an opportunity to take Lisa Barlow down, she jumps on it and hates her because I am truly convinced that you couldn't tell me otherwise that there was a major conversation that they were going to take Lisa Barlow down this season because after that reunion, it seemed like that was clearly the plan. So that's why Heather had so much confidence saying you have no friends left. And when Lisa said, who's not my friend here, she had total confidence raising her hand up because she thought other hands were going to be up, which makes me think they, they were having conversations. Like that's why she thought that was going to happen. So then if that's the case, then why did you go to lunch with her at the top of the season? So it's like you were really trying to be friends with her, but then also were willing to be part of a takedown. So you stand for nothing then, Heather. Well, because, yeah, I mean, if we go with this, it's because she wants things to look a certain way. I mean, she wants her Mm -hmm. hands to be clean. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I want to start getting into the contradictions because there's just stuff here, like the, the righteous part of me that... It's very hard for me to see gang ups and it's very hard for me to see takedowns. And that's why like last year at the reunion, just watching the feeding frenzy against Lisa. I mean, look, if you like her, don't like her, whatever. You know, I think we can all agree it was just kind of an ugly pile on. Um, and it's very hard for me to, to, to tolerate that. And so there's just some things that I just want to name and dismantle. And um, in doing so, really start highlighting the reality of what you just brought in, which is Heather is wildly inconsistent. I mean, wildly inconsistent. So can we take a moment to dismantle this conflict about her father's passing, Lisa tweeting the obituary and all that? Because I went back in preparation for this. I rewatched that part of the reunion where this all started. Oh, I I love it. Yeah, I took notes. Oh, Jamie. Okay. Yes, you did, sir. Okay. (laughs) Let's. Because it's, but Emily, I mean, we have to put on our protective gear waiting into the swamp. It's so convoluted because Heather changes her story on a moment by moment basis. So I'm I'm getting. Oh, it's so frustrating. Okay. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Your excitement is feeding and fueling me. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. So let me find my notes. So this all starts because Meredith is first telling 
Lisa, you weren't there for me essentially when my dad died. And part of what Meredith was saying, she started kind of victimizing herself over the Shabbat dinner she had at, earlier that season. Her father had just died. She was grieving. And then she's saying, you came to my Shabbat dinner and started attacking me. This is Meredith's word, attacking me about becoming friends with Jen Shaw again. And you were so disrespectful to the fact that I was grieving. So already, you know, there's the kind of a tone here of, you know, Meredith, as she does, is laying it on thick. I don't think anyone would say Lisa was attacking her about the friendship with Jen Shaw. But regardless, that's where we're coming into this. So this has nothing to do with Heather. Heather then decides to interject and she's like, well, I really relate to this. And, you know, basically, (laughs) I forgot that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah. So I really relate to this. And the first thing that she says is it's all about the fact that Lisa texted Heather a few days after her dad had passed saying, I hope your dad is feeling better. And so, yeah, so- I can see her face. I can see her face. It's vivid again. Oh, I remember this part. Okay. Uh-huh. 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 And so the reason why she brings this in, it's very clear. She's making an implication that mm-hmm. you, you knew he had died and you mm-hmm. were so thoughtless or oblivious or callous that you sent me this thoughtless text days after he had died saying, I hope your dad is feeling better. And she makes it sound like it's this really sort of, whether intentionally or unintentionally, this cruel, hurtful thing. Lisa then says, I like Lisa's clearly shocked because, you know, obviously it sounds terrible. And she says, I didn't know he had passed. Heather then says this. I know. I know you didn't know. And that's why I don't care. So I just want to stop right there. So wait a second. You're saying, you know, if, if this happened, which that this is a whole other thing. But let's just go with Heather's story for a moment. You're saying, you know, it was a mistake. You're saying you don't care. Why then are you bringing this up? Like right there, you are contradicting yourself. If you truly believe this was an innocent mistake, there is no point in bringing this up. Now, what's unbelievable about this, there's a sort of a malaise. Like people are talking over each other. Underneath all that, Heather kind of says to Lisa, sort of also muttering under her breath, she says sort of passive aggressively, I mean, I mean, I think you don't know. I mean, everyone else knew. And so I'm just sitting there like, wait a second. She just contradicted herself twice in 30 seconds. So it's like, are you saying that Lisa did this? Or are you not saying that Lisa did this? And if you're saying that Lisa did this, why don't you come out and say it? And why are you like disguising it? Which we haven't even gotten the fact yet that it's not even true. (laughs) Heather concludes this with like, I'm just saying I understand where Meredith is coming from. And And then she says... I'm not doing this to attack you, Lisa. Oh, you shut. So again, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking, well, okay, then (laughs) what is the intention? If, if, if we don't even know what you're saying now, because you've contradicted yourself on one hand, you're saying you believe it was an innocent mistake. On the other hand, you're passive aggressively implying it wasn't an innocent mistake. You're saying you're not bringing this up to attack her, but then what is the intention here? And like I said, this is all proven to be wrong. Now we'll get there in a second because I want to deal with that. But I just want to bring that into this moment that Heather, to Lisa's point, to Lisa's credit, was saying something that wasn't even true. Lisa didn't send that text after her dad died. So the whole thing is under the umbrella of either a lie or a mistake, but either way, it's not true. The part where she's muttering under her breath, like, well, maybe you did know. I mean, everyone else knew. That is then 
implying she knew and still sent that text. It's like she did so much in so many seconds there. That's what I'm I don't saying. Like that. It's like a 15, I don't like that at all. It's a 15 second <laughs> moment, and she changes her story three times. I cannot with that. She took an opportunity that Meredith had that Meredith gave her. Meredith was doing the you know the you attacked me for my friendship with Jen. That whole thing. She took that moment and went, Meredith. I know exactly how you feel. She texts me. I hope your dad is feeling better. Two days after he died. And I doesn't Andy go, what? Yeah. I feel like Andy reacts and she goes, yeah. Yeah, yeah she does. She yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Like so smug. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. But then, but then to go, well, I mean, no, I know. And that's why I don't care. Yeah, exactly. And by the <sighs> way, and okay. And to bring in the fact, let's just be clear here. Cause we're going to talk about this in a moment. She was weaponizing her father's death. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that what, that's the literal, that's literally what she did. Yes. Okay. Okay. And I also want to bookmark the part where she says, I mean, everyone else knew. I want to circle back around that when we're going to talk about her final conversation with Whitney at the end of last episode. Because that was like, there are things to say about that. That's when something really clicked into place for me around Heather's Mm -hmm. capacity to lie. Because I feel Mm -hmm. like there was Mm -hmm. a bold-faced lie that was told. But we'll, we'll save that. So, yeah. Then we fast forward to this next season, right? And, you know, Lisa, obviously, you know, she wants to clear her name. And uh, she she does so in a bold way. I mean, look, could Lisa have taken the high road? Yes. Could she have let it go? Yes. But I also understand. I mean... It, it's it's not pleasant, especially in a situation where you're being ganged up on and people yep. are using your actual bad moments against you. You know, she had that rant. Yep. It became the fodder for them to kind of like rip her apart to shreds. And then on top of that, they're piling on things that she didn't actually even do. So I understand this impulse to kind of clear her name. Me too. And if we're going to give her the benefit of the doubt, I can also actually truly see the impulse that says, look, if I'm going to actually get on some sort of fresh page with Heather, I need things to be clear. Now, maybe there's a different way she could have done it than sort of tweeting the obituary. But regardless, she's responding to what was brought to her. She's clearing her name. And I think what's important here is that Heather did weaponize her father's death. And she's the one who initiated a conversation around her father's Right. Yeah. So I've got these notes, but it's it gets so convoluted that I get overwhelmed mm-hmm. just going back into my notes. So let me just take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess. OK, so I'll go in chronological order with the show. So we first hear about what Lisa did with this tweet when Heather is at Beauty Lab with her partner and she's confiding with her about the book. Right. OK. <laughs> Again, like I'm just getting overwhelmed because Heather starts bringing so much into this. She starts uh-huh. this conversation off being like, I was so hopeful that I could not identify as Mormon and still have my family. You know, so she's sort of setting it up where she's going to go with this is like what Lisa did is 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 continuing the fracture between her and her family and she's talking about how she's writing this book and how she's scared the book is going to alienate her family further and then she sort of points back to this recent ski day she had and she and she says you know my cousins came to my ski day and it just gave me so much hope that actually like I can mend fences with my family and they'll be comfortable with me in this public role now this is where I start having broader questions and I'm really curious on your take about all this because what I'm aware of, Emily, at least the way that Heather presents, you know, her narrative, the story of her life on this show, 
I'm just starting to get confused because I'm sort of sitting here thinking, you know, you, you this is your third season. This is your third year being on the show. This has been your storyline the whole time. I don't feel a lot of motion around this. Like in the way uh-huh. that Whitney, I feel like is on a journey, you know, and we can see her like she's, you know, whatever the language is, she's resigning from Mormonism. She's recovering memories of abuse. She's stepping into herself. There's motion in her story. And with Heather, it's like, okay, even before the show, you got divorced, which I know is a big no, no. Right. But you know, you and your husband both got divorced. You clearly survived that. You have an amicable relationship with your husband. We've seen you be supportive of your daughters leaving the church if they want to. We've seen you dating. We've seen you on camera having this like reconnection with your sister when they were in, was it Vale or wherever they were? We've seen you, yes, like meet, meet with those relatives who um were like, we're leaving the church too. We've seen you now with your cousins on the ski day. I'm just starting to have questions. The way that she frames this still three years like into the show as I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm ruining everything. I'm the traitor. Everyone hates me. This is like, you know, I kind of martyr myself in this way. I, as Jamie, watching this I don't know what else to say other than there's something about this narrative that just doesn't fully make sense to me at this point. It seems like from what we are seeing and hearing with our own eyes, your life has moved forward and onward and there seems to be connection with your family. And I just don't, and you're three years into this. Like I I don't, so even presenting writing this book, I mean, I get it. It's you know writing a memoir where maybe you're talking about your family is different than being on the show. But I guess my my final point in all this is there just to me feels a disconnect between the way she presents this, and then sort of what I'm seeing of who she is today, and also what I'm seeing on the show. And I'm just curious, where are you with her narrative? Have you been having a similar experience? Is what I'm saying making sense? Well, you're not wrong about. So there's more than meets the eye. That scene with her sister in Bale was not like was not exactly so smooth. So her her sister did not know that they were going to be totally like filming it. So she was kind of blindsided by it being a scene. And there was a lot of producing involved in it because she was more pissed at Heather than Heather wanted her to be. She had more shit to say to Heather, but Heather wanted it to be about the dad and about her not being the bad guy. And so Heather's got a very clear narrative she's trying to tell, but it's not, I don't think it's accurate. Remember when her brother said to her that he was really upset that she, that he's like, I wrote you that letter and you never responded. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I couldn't. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Hold on. can Can we circle back to that? So he wrote you this long letter about how he's leaving the church or whatever, and you just didn't respond. That's fucked up. Yeah. In terms of what we're talking about, you are talking about being the black sheep of the family, the traitor, the one who everyone rejects. And then to your point, here's a clear case where someone in your family was reaching out to you and you're the one who's throwing up some sort of obstacle. Now, I want to be clear. 
this isn't to like shame. Sometimes we need space and I don't know what the situation is in that relationship. So it's not to like self-righteously tisk tisk Heather, you didn't respond to your brother. But I do think it's interesting from the perspective that we're talking about today of if, if you are this black sheep of the family who all you want is connection with your family and you're writing this narrative that yeah, everyone rejects you and sees you as bad. But then here's this opportunity where someone from your immediate family is reaching out to you for help and support. I, I think you're saying around the very topic that is like yeah. so painful for you and you're the one who doesn't respond again. It just kind of casts a it's shadow just, of doubt. It's not, I'm not, it's not tracking. And then when that scene that we're talking about where she's saying that this obituary tweet happened to finish off I'm sure where you were getting to is that she has the nerve to say that because of this tweet her cousins now don't feel comfortable with you know her coming forward with all this stuff in the book I was like wow you I get where you're going with this Heather but you just basically tried she could not wait for for Lisa to screw up basically she couldn't wait for Lisa to screw up and now this happens and she's going to blame put a lot she put way too much responsibility on Lisa with this tweet right and so like I want to speak about this from the macro perspective and the micro perspective that you just brought in so from the macro perspective yeah absolutely she's now blaming Lisa Barlow for the fact that her 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 family can't handle her public persona and Le- it's Lisa Barlow's fault and this tweet's fault that they're going to be shattered forever. Yeah. So I mean let's I mean I feel like it's so obvious it's almost insulting to all of our intelligence to even say this out loud but I feel yeah. like I got to say it. No. <laughs> your problems no. within your family are not Lisa Barlow's fault. Your decision to go on the real housewives is not Lisa Barlow's fault. If your family relationships are so fragile and fractured that you going into the public eye and going on a reality TV show is going to destroy that. That has nothing to do with your castmates. If you weren't fighting with Lisa, you'd be fighting with someone else. So I guess I'm just saying this on the macro level because to me, when I see something like that, because again, we talked about this up top, there's like Heather Smart. And there's a way she can say things and spin things where you really think of her as the voice of reason. And so I just, again, in in the place where this episode is setting the stage for something, I want to point a bunch of red blinking neon arrows to this woman who often presents herself as the down-to-earth voice of reason is literally blaming Lisa Barlow for the fact that her family can't handle her public persona. Like, that is information that she, yeah, to your point, she's completely willing to deny self-responsibility. She's willing to scapegoat. And she writes what I would call really sort of like emotionally immature narrative fiction about what's going on and so for me i'm clocking that and i'm like this is proof mm-hmm. we can't we cannot trust what is coming out of this woman's mouth now to bring this to the micro level that you just brought in i just think it's so interesting that here she is literally blaming lisa barlow for um you know again her family's discomfort with her public role in life and yet you're saying she blindsided her sister with filming a scene that the sister didn't consent to beforehand. So I'm just sort of sitting here like, oh, but it's Lisa's fault they have a problem yeah. with you being on a reality show. It has nothing to do with you and how you're navigating yeah. it and what you're saying on the show and how you're bringing people into it or not bringing people with it into it. So again, it's like it's the macro level. It's the micro level of just the blind spots, the lack of self-responsibility. And also last season they with the memorial service for her dad – 
uh, or the celebration of life or whatever that was supposed to be filmed, but her family ended up pulling out of it. Like her, like she is absolutely the black sheep, but there's more to it than she, she's definitely keeping them protected and stuff, but there's more to it behind the scenes for sure than we ever get privy to, which is why it's a very weak storyline for her. We're not allowed to really get the full story because she won't tell us the story. She's still protecting, quote unquote, protecting them, their privacy. So then why is it still your storyline? See, I, but I wonder, I mean, I'm sure part of it is protecting their privacy. I also wonder, though, how much of this is about protecting their privacy and mm. how much of this is controlling the and narrative? And how much is it protecting you? Yeah, because once things start to come out... Are yep. your stories and narratives going to get mm-hmm. unspooled? And we're going to get into it. What I am seeing on this season is when Heather Gay's narratives that she's constructing get unspooled, she cannot handle it. Yeah. And the other thing I'm seeing, too, is like her go to, like her go-to self-protective mechanism is to find a bad guy to point a finger at to like deflect away. Oh my God, totally. So I'm just- Full deflection. So I'm taking in this information and I'm just like, okay, so again, how much of this is about protecting your family and how much of this, in the place where I don't trust Heather's perception of things anymore because again, she's like- making things up about when text came in about her father's passing and then saying, Oh, I know you didn't know. Actually, I do think, you know, like I don't trust what comes out of her mouth. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. How much of this is about protecting the family versus how much of this is sort of keeping a house of cards. And I think to both of our points, maybe part of why we're not getting any real motion in her storyline with this family is because she can't really afford for there to be real motion because it might be the thing that topples the stories she's been spinning exactly exactly and we'll get there i mean i know i produced some content about this recently but i think this might tie into why she's getting so triggered by whitney because i think whitney's living something now that heather has been playing at perhaps but i have a question i have a question for you with the sister thing do you know why the sister was pissed i'm so curious about that do you know what the beef was the sister had with her well, it was basically the way Heather cut her off because Heather totally cut her off. They all cut her off. So it was kind of like, where the fuck have you been sort of deal? There was more, I mean, to be, oh, you know. Right, right, just, right. I'm remembering. Okay, sorry. I forgot this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. It, so it was more of that dialogue uh, than than they wanted for the scenes. So just to remind people, because I had completely forgotten this, this sister, she was someone who had left the church and Heather. A while like young at a young age and Heather kind of banished her. Yes. Because Heather was still a good Mormon. Cause, cause can I just say what's coming through me now, you know, in this place where we, we really, and again, we're going to get into this more as the conversation continues, but where Heather does tend to want to point fingers and she does tend to want to find a bad guy to collude. It's us versus them. I'm good in relationship to you, the bad friend, the bad person, I'm suddenly really sensing the possibility. I mean, we don't know that this is true, but the possibility that if Heather, when she's still in her good Mormon era and you're a family member who's left the church, I mean, I could, I could see the possibility of her. It's not just kind of like out of sight, out of mind that she's vilifying you. Yeah. She's enraged with you. I mean, again, we're going to get there in a, in a few moments, but I can't help but notice right? this season, two different times she said to people, you're going to lose me forever. 
So there's there's some right. sort of language she has around like you know punishing people by like withdrawing her you know her 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 amazing love I guess is how she sees it her good her amazing goodness you know and so oh, yeah I, there's just something here for me all of a sudden about I just wonder how ugly that behavior might have gotten I wonder how mm-hmm. sort of mean and unforgiving she was towards this um, sister and I wonder yeah is this part of the sister's beef of is this something that's not being fully owned of like oh now Heather's writing a new story she's leaving the church. You know, and now she wants to make amends. Have you ever had an experience of that? It's kind of like Dorinda, you know, like where someone acts out really viciously towards you and then they sort of understand what they've done and they're ashamed. They don't really want to take full responsibility for how cruel and vicious it was because it's going to sort of take them into that place of shame. And so they try to like make amends, but they're not really dropping into how deep it actually went. So for you on the receiving end, it doesn't actually feel feel like they're really making amends i mean this is all me spitballing but i can just suddenly feel the possibility of patterns like this yes so it was that so the sister wanted to talk more about that than heather obviously wanted to because it goes against heather's narrative yeah and this is kind of my main thing with heather my main point my my main constructive note for heather throughout all of this has been it feels like she is unwilling to really let herself know those parts of herself that get ugly. Like oh, yeah. The hypothetical example that I just illustrated, to me, that would be a perfect illustration of it. Like, yeah, I'll recognize it's, it's like what we we're talking about up top. Like, I'll take some accountability, you know what I mean, to make it look good, to make it sound good. But I'm not going to go into the depth of the spite the contempt, the hatefulness, there's something I'm protecting there where I won't let myself fully know that for myself somehow. Because it's almost like if I let myself fully know that, then it really means I'm not a good person. Mm -hmm. Rather than understanding, you know, actually, this is my humanity. We all have hate. We all have spite. We all get ugly. And it's also just so interesting to me because one of the things she was saying to Lisa in the reunion last season was, I just want you to be in the ugly. I want to be in the ugly with you, you know? And it's, Oh yeah. And I'm always saying she's always accusing Lisa and other people of the things that she's doing. So she even says, I mean, we'll get there, but when she gets into it with Lisa, she's like, you weaponized my father's death. And that's why I was so clear to say, actually you weaponized your father's death. You're the one who's unwilling to get in the ugly. And that's where I start to again, really question like how, lost is Heather in her hall of mirrors because there's such a classic case of projection that seems to streak through her life where she literally points the finger at other people and accuses them of the very thing she's doing. Totally. I want to keep going. I'm so excited. (laughs) So, Oh, the other last thing I wanted to say about this conversation is at beauty lab. And I will say, you know, just to bring some balance into this, the part of Heather I love the most is Heather, the entrepreneur, and I would love to see more about that. I mean, I might be in the minority. I love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love a good business storyline. And when Heather's talking about expanding her operations and opening the new locations, I'm like, this is the Heather I like. I wish we could just stick with this. Like you're, you know, I mean, it seems to me she's created a really successful business. And I think that's fascinating. Agreed. So I wish we could just see more of that. But so that's my I little. I agree. That's yeah, that's my uh, I'm throwing Heather a bone there. That's where I like Heather. Well done. Well done. You, OK, that was cute. We tried. <laughs> it's, it is 
sincere though. Um, okay. The other thing that I wanted to say about this was there's something about the way too that she referenced that scene at the ski day where she said, oh, my cousins came and I really took that as a sign that everything was getting better. Again, Emily, like when I watched that scene, there was nothing in that scene. It seemed so casual. It seemed so light. There was nothing in the text that we were presented with that suggested her family was in any way uncomfortable or that there was anything like remotely emotionally momentous. There was nothing dramatic. And so when I look at Heather referring back to that scene as an example (laughs) of like, finally the family was coming together. And then, oh, but then Lisa tweeted this tweet and now my cousins who came to the ski day it's jeopardized everything it's just another place where i'm like this isn't matching up with what i've seen with my own eyes i'm laughing because it's like it's like a it's almost comedic how she's like and then you saw they finally showed up and it's like acting as if it's this big dramatic thing and then you're right like all we saw was them being like hey heather that's it well that's what i'm saying it wasn't a big deal it's almost like this childlike, again, like she's writing these childlike fictions on the show. You know what I mean? And using. It was so not a big deal. And now she's like, did you see that? They showed up. That's so funny. I'm dying. And the way she reduces that non-eventful scene in Lisa's tweet, it's so reductionist the way she uses that to craft a story and a narrative that her family was finally coming around. And Lisa Barlow botched it all up. Now I'm back at square one. So now I have another season where I get to talk about how my family isn't there for me. And I don't, I don't mean to make light of this because I'm sure, I'm sure she's had a painful relationship with her family. But it's just to say something's not adding up here. And she does that kind of so feel... True. She feels like a Lisa Vanderpump to me. It's like she's just starting to feel like she's writing these fictions with the show. And then again, weaponizing it to make someone totally. else a bad guy. So true, though. It's like, now that you put it like that, it's so ridiculous <laughs> that she did that. It's like, when you when I think about them showing up, like, it was so not an event. Like, they had no footage to even use. <laughs> they were like, and then her cousins came. Yeah, there was no tension. There was nothing for them to use. They were like, hi <laughs> like, hey heather what's up and then, and that's all they had you know they would have used footage if they had it but there was they were just like cool we're gonna be over here we're gonna have some chicken wings over here after skiing and that was it um, and, and then and then heather acts like it was such a monumental experience that they finally showed up and then lisa ruined it it's like a comedy actually it's but, so funny but what i'm saying too is like I didn't, I mean, yes, I was rolling my eyes at, during that scene when I first watched it, just in terms of like her blaming Lisa for everything. But it wasn't <sighs> even until I watched it the second time that that piece that I just brought in landed. And that's what I'm saying. There's a way that Heather, she's able to present things in a very convincing way. And it happens totally. so fast where you take her at her word. And that's why I just wanted to do this part one episode of naming all these inconsistencies because I just want to set the table for the listening audience and and, and the spiritual uh, arbiters of justice. Like, no, this woman is spinning a lot of tall tales and she's saying a lot of things that uh-huh. don't make sense. And the second you kind of put it under a microscope, it's not holding <laughs> up. No, it's so good that, Jamie, I fell for it. Like, I was like, yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, okay. I guess they wouldn't want, like, they wouldn't want that tweet out there. Like, I was like, okay, fine. I guess I I didn't even catch how ridiculous it was until you just said that. 
them showing up to that event was so not an event. Like we've seen, we've seen scenes in in Bravo where like a family tension scene happens right. where them show. We've seen those moments. This was not that moment. <laughs> the, the cousins showed up and went skiing, and they were like, "It was practically." They were like, "We see." It was almost like we, they see Heather all the time. That's it what I'm saying. Like it was almost like they were like confused. Like they didn't get the memo that they were supposed to be like the long lost cousins that never show up. They were like, "We saw you yesterday." Like I don't understand what's happening. Like they didn't get it. They didn't know that that's the role they were playing. Well, and also like perhaps excited to be on the show like they kind of seemed like they were having fun like i didn't you kind of get that vibe like yeah we're going skiing they're filming this is fun oh there's that crazy lady jen you know like it seemed kind of fun cut to them being like we love this what are you talking about <laughs> heather's like shut up if anyone asks you you hate it and what's so oh crazy though is if heather just left that part look if heather just come to the table being like Lisa tweeted this thing and I got a call from one of my family members just feeling like it was distasteful and, you know, and didn't have to even frame it as Lisa ruined everything and how dare she, but just was like, Lisa took this action without thinking about the potential consequences for other people involved. Then it's like, oh, that's totally fair. And you can have that point, but it's your driving need to like vilify (laughs) Lisa and make her this like Machiavellian bad guy who's single-handedly destroying everything in your life that's good that you start to just completely lose the plot. That's a really good point. You could have taken it to like a normal place. Like, yeah. And actually one of my cousins actually was pretty bummed out. She did call me not now it's ruined. Now the book that I was going to release is canceled, which is practically like where she took it to. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh God, now you really, she set her, basically what she did was set herself up for more storylines. She's like, and now, and now, all of these other family members I haven't mentioned yet are mad at me too. That's what I'm saying. We're back at square one. It's like, it reminds me of my script consultation days where I'm like, this is a conflict. It's a non-starting conflict that goes nowhere. You're writing a story that's just going in circles. Like the conflict has to materialize. We need motion in the story. And again, Whitney Rose is telling a good story this season. She's doing much. She's doing better. Her story's moving. Her st- it's like going places. If if Heather and Whitney were screenplays, Whitney Whitney's got my stamp of approval for her screenplay, and Heather's <laughs> screenplay needs some work. She needs to liberate her stuck conflict and let it actually go somewhere. Okay, let me return to my notes. Unless was there anything else you needed to say? No, that was perfect. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, so the other thing I want to say about what she's bringing in with this dermatologist, right, is she's also completely skipping over the fact that Lisa did actually prove that Heather was wrong at the reunion, that she didn't. Oh, she leaves that out. She totally leaves that out. And not only does she leave it out, she skips over it and moves right to, okay, Lisa, I hope it was worth it. Like, you got vindicated. And so it's like, again, she's completely skipping over the part that says, oh, wait a second. I did make a mistake, you know, and let me look at the potential impact that that may have had on someone else. And so, again, it's this notion of someone comes in and actually has tangible proof that starts to dismantle Heather's narrative. And where does she go with it? She immediately victimizes herself. And then, oh, my God, this is what this is why I'm saying it gets so convoluted, switches up the story to, okay, wait, wait, wait. So we've... (laughs) This is what I'm saying. I get confused. So we've established 
Okay, this is what it is. It's not suddenly. It's not that he's died and she's gotten this text that's hurtful. It's he was in hospice, taking oh, his last hospice. breaths. We were gathered yep. around him, and I get this text from Lisa yes. saying, yes. "Hey, is your dad feeling better again?" Like. What the fuck? Like, what's wrong with Lisa? Lisa is checking in on you about your dad, which, by the way, you two weren't even friends last season. So if, she, she, you weren't telling her what was going on, so she didn't know what else to say. If anything, you're kind of making a case for Lisa being a thoughtful person because she is thinking to text you when you guys don't even have a good relationship in the first place. And But it's like, this is what I'm saying. It's so convoluted because it's not just the complete lack of ownership that she did get it wrong and she made Lisa look bad to the extent that even Andy clutched his pearls. But then it's like, I was wrong using that to vilify you. I was clutching my own pearls about how devastating it was to get that text days after my dad died. Oh shit, I didn't get that text days after my dad died, but it was devastating to get that text when my dad was in hospice. And it's just like, Heather... You're just finding any way possible, again, to vilify this woman. That's all you're doing. And it's like, uh, it just feels so good to be saying this out loud and to be saying this, like for, for you to hear it and see it and for it to be received by the <laughs> listeners, because it's like, I want this named. It's she's, she's doing anything she can to tell a tale about villainous Lisa. And again, she yep. is weaponizing her father's death. And this needs yes. to be seen for the record that this is how this woman operates in conflict. Yes. Okay, so yes. So now we are at the infamous choir uh, tryouts, which, by the way, oh, I, iconic. I love this storyline um, for just how ridiculously fake it is but it's one of the yeah. few cases where like the fakeness of the storyline is amazing to me and i wish yeah. every real housewives franchise had some sort of storyline about community theater or singing groups anything involving performance yes. or auditions yes the other yes. thing that i would love oh god this is a digression and then i want to hear what you have to say um i the the storyline that to this day i feel like we were robbed of was Heather Dubrow and her friends opening a restaurant in Orange County. I, I cannot, I just wish we'd had that storyline. <laughs> it's my deepest regret. The idea of a storyline of Heather Dubrow opening a restaurant, running a business in Orange County. It's like the restaurant. Remember that show, that Mark Burnett show, The Restaurant with Rocco Despirito? No. Oh, it was, oh, you should check it out. Uh, just the idea okay. of like combining the restaurant with the Real Housewives of Orange County is just, it's like mana to my reality TV loving soul. Damn. So anyways, here we are. We're at the audition. I'll let you take the lead. What do you want to say about this? Okay. Can I go on a Lisa Barlow rant of how much I love her? Of course. Okay. Because the fact that Lisa Barlow could show up with that level of confidence First, first she shows she walks in with her sunglasses still on and said, I'm here for the audition, knowing what that would look like. She's like, this is a moment. And it was, I mean, iconic. Then she's the way she says, I'm here to support Heather Gay <laughs> on her mission, her spirituality, her own way. And I was like, that's <laughs> you guys like this woman cannot like she's getting it all right. And so Heather's like, fuck, I can't be mad at that. Fuck, I can't be mad at that. I can't be mad at that. When Lisa starts singing, they cut over to Heather. And I can tell Heather's like, I cannot believe that Lisa's able to come in here. Not, not a singer, 
but still managed to steal this fucking show right now. Like she, the, the Heather's like, she did it again. I swear the look, the feeling I got from Heather's like, damn it. She did it again. <laughs> she did it again. How did she do that? And that is where like Lisa will always win because at one point Lisa kind of like pops her hip. Like she's like, oh, way. Like she just like pops her hip. And then she has, then she goes, is that it? Like she looks at the judges, but then to Heather's dismay, one of the judges, Corey is there for it. He's there for the camp. He loves it. He's like, that was, that was beautiful. He loved it. He ate it up. And Heather's like, I didn't let him know that we hate like Heather's like, I forgot to tell him we hate her. And when the way Lisa leaves, like in her little boots, she's like, is this where I exit? And then she like walks out. And then when she comes out, she, did you guys hear my audition? Did you love it? Oh, like everything about it was so perfect to me, which is why I was like, you have only made Heather's life worse right now. Cause Heather's like, Darn it. can I ask you a question about something you just said? What? When you said that uh, Lisa was saying, I'm here to support Heather Gay's spiritual journey, doing it her own way. And she said it just right. I'm curious for you when you're saying she said it just right. Was the energy of that for you? Did you think it was total camp or did you think there was sincerity in it as well? I did. Yeah. I think Lisa meant it. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I was going to say. Lisa means it. Yeah. And I think Damn it. I, I agree with you. And, you know, I will say, you know, there's been contact with Lisa. And um, one of the things that's been really interesting for me kind of in interfacing with her is feeling that like she I mean, I've always said that on the podcast that why I liked her was I could feel a vulnerability underneath all the chaos and I could feel her heart, you know, and for some reason that touched me. And when I've interfaced with her, you do feel it like she she takes you in and she gets things and she reflects things to you. And I've noticed like in conversations, like I've actually felt touched, you know, just by even simple things, you know, like me coming out here to New Mexico and I mentioned that and she just said something like, that's going to be really great for you. I can feel it. But it was the energy in it where I was like, oh, you really are feeling it. There, There's something really connected in her heart and so the well, like she said i'm an empath i absorb it all she said that and when she was freaking out in arizona she did and i she think means it. and i think for me what it made me aware of it's like oh i understand even more now why someone like heather and previously whitney would get so triggered by her because if you're around this woman who is i mean look she's she's very type a she's got it all together there's that kind of like even though I'm sure she would argue this, there's that veneer of like perfection, you know, like I'm doing it all right. I've got my shit together. And so, you know, there's a way, obviously she's made them uncomfortable. Right. But then you pair that with someone who does have this heart connection and there's this sensitivity in her and you can feel it. I understand a lot more now why someone like a Heather or previously a Whitney would be so charged and triggered around like, Ugh, like I like I want you to give me some of that light, and when you don't, it makes me feel even worse about myself. It'd almost be easier if Lisa were just a mean girl, but when it's paired with an actual heart, I mean, I'm just feeling it now for Heather. It's like, oh my god, it's like maddening. Oh yeah, it's like give me the oh, love, yeah. give me the love, give me the love, give me the approval, and when you withhold that from me, OMG, it triggers every part of me. 
that doesn't feel worthy, that feels less than, that was the outsider, was the one who didn't get picked at school. It's like the worst combination. Yep. Oh, yeah. Once they do eventually, t- I don't know if I'm skipping ahead for you, but I want to talk about the, eventually- the like the I want to talk about their fight at the audition. OK, because once they get to that and once they fight about that and Heather makes this face when after they after they're like, you have no friends and they do like the voting thing or whatever, like I'm not your friend. Lisa starts trying to talk to her. I know this because I I screen recorded it and was making content. So I like I kept looking at the footage. Heather makes this face because Lisa tries to come towards her and like explain. And I love the way Lisa tries to explain it because when Lisa's like explaining, like taking ownership of things, she's really funny. Cause she's like, Yes, I shouldn't have like maybe tweeted that, like maybe not the obituary part, like that was maybe wrong. But like, and then she just keeps explaining. Heather looks almost afraid of Lisa having a moment to talk to her because it's it's once again it's on camera it's like giving lisa a chance to maybe vindicate herself Mm -hmm. and then heather literally says no no you're right i'm a liar you're you're the one who's vindicated and just like there you go but her face literally looks like fear to me like get away from me don't even come near me i was like wow heather is she just looks terrified like i'm about to be the bad guy for once and i don't like it well i think what you're saying is interesting i'm curious about your take on this as well because my experience of lisa this season is that she feels more direct to me this season it feels like something flipped in her after the reunion i think last season she was you know sort of trying to be more everything to everyone and playing things more safe and being mindful of what she was saying or not saying and it feels to me like I, I feel like after that reunion something kind of turned and she's more willing just to be like you know in so many words like no like shut the f up this is what's happened this is where I was coming from like and it's not right and it's not fair and so I wonder I, I really like what you're saying and I wonder if part of that is Lisa's sort of willingness to be let's sit down let's get direct like she's saying like I have a right to clear myself here and I'm yeah. not gonna prostrate myself at your feet just because like you're all ganging up on me or trying to write a narrative right to me this just comes back to like yeah Lisa is bringing in something really clear here which is you you did try to bring something in in this reunion to make me look really bad and it wasn't true so Lisa is coming in with very clear tangible information of like what you said wasn't right and what I think is so interesting is so here's a place where Heather's narrative is just unequivocally getting dismantled there's no like ifs and buts about it and to your point what does Heather do she like she can't and won't tolerate it and so then she moves to this very emotionally manipulative um, posture which is just like okay Lisa you're right I'm wrong I'm a horrible person and I hope you're proud of yourself it's just like yeah there's no penetrating that and she literally wouldn't take in anything that Lisa was saying she practically charged out of the room which she's gonna do again with Whitney at the end of the episode I mean look I'm not into these diagnostic terms one because I'm not an expert in that way and I don't know about them and two because I don't like diagnosing people in general but what I will say is like my experience Um, In my therapeutic training and with group facilitation, I will say that a very common trait in those people who are often just are described as borderline personalities is Mm. when something comes in that they don't like, they will shut down and they will literally leave the room. Like I've seen so many people in group workshops leave the room. It's like I can't tolerate what's coming in. So I'm just Mm. shutting it down 
And I'm going to say this, and I'm Shannon. It's very Shannon Bedore. You know, very Shannon Bedore. You know, it's like I'm going to like kick up a lot of fuss, and like you know, I I can't tolerate what you're bringing to me. It like it it just it it strikes something in me that I refuse to tolerate. So let me kick up a lot of dust, and I'm out. Like literally, I'm leaving the room and slamming the door. And so it's just so interesting. Again, in this place where it just feels so important to name the patterns of Heather, it's like you present yourself as this woman who wants to be in the ugly, who wants to be in the trenches of relationships, specifically with Lisa Barlow. Here she is. She's bringing something to you. And what do you do? You shut it down. You victimize yourself. You emotionally manipulate. And then you leave the room. It's like, heaven forbid you acknowledge, you know what? I was wrong to jump on Meredith's moment and say, I relate to it because you didn't text me when my dad died. I was mistaken. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid she go there. Nope. She's just upset that, you know what it is? It reminds me, it's like a guilty conscience. Yeah. It's like she knows, she knows, and like now she's got to be hyper defensive over it. The that, textbook. That's what I'm saying. It's like I think there's a particular place where Heather gets caught that yeah. then unravels everything. And I think the place where she gets caught, it's 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 it it is that sneaky, sneaky part of her where there mm-hmm. really is like a you know what I would call like a dark intention to do harm. And and by the way, when I say this, like I, I really don't actually mean this in a way to vilify her we all have this in us like there are all moments where we want to hurt and harm that's part of humanity I think with Heather to me it just feels so toxic because you know with someone like Heather and look she's not the only one I think when you're someone who's so deeply invested in being the good girl that yes that aspect of you becomes such a threat to your system and so it's like it can exacerbate it because it gets driven that much deeper underground, right? Like, so someone like me, I'm an interesting, <laughs> I'm an interesting person. I'm an interesting person because, you know, like, like I've done a shitload of work on myself, right? I've got therapeutic training. I do spiritual work. But what's interesting is like in my life, I've always been the opposite of the warm and fuzzy person. Like I've kind of been contrary. You know what I mean? Like I'm the kind mm-hmm. of person who's like, I'm sort of, t- I mean, I guess this is also me being hard on myself because I'm sure there are people who would disagree. But my perception of myself is like I'm tough on the outside, but then I have a soft heart underneath. And um, the reason why I'm saying that, though, is in my work, like when I was going through my training with my peers, it was never hard for me to own those darker aspects of me. I have no problem saying, you know what, in that moment. I was hurt and I was trying to hurt you and I had a negative intention and I'm sorry. Like I have no problem saying that because I've always identified kind of as the rebel and the rule breaker. But if you're the good little girl, you know what I mean? It's almost like as Heather, what's coming to me. If people find this out about me, this is where I get caught. Uh, Like not just caught like, Oh, you're caught doing something. It's like, Oh, sorry. There's something coming through. I'm just trying to find the language. (sighs) What is this? It's like in some place where I've like in this place where I have to be good, I've internalized that there's something in me that's actually bad because that's the contrast, right? Like I can only be good if there are parts of me that are bad. And so if there are parts of me that are bad, like this place where I get sneaky and vengeful and duplicitous, it's almost like this is where something could get. That's what I mean. This is where something could get used against me. I get caught and it's going to be used against me. And it's where I'm going to get like somehow like, yeah, punished, terrorized, told I'm bad. It's proof I'm bad. No one can know this about me. 
So it's like mm-hmm. sort of this self-perpetuating cycle, right? Because in the place where she's been told, they're like, look, Heather, you have to be good. And that means disowning certain parts of you and certain parts of you are bad. Of course, she's going to be pissed, right? Any of us will be pissed receiving. It's not fair. So then those parts of herself get driven underground. And in the place where she's angry, and that anger needs somewhere to go, it wants to get mad. It wants to vilify, especially if you're someone like Heather, who clearly, like, first of all, I mean, just even look at her body. Like, she's got so much energy in her. You know what I mean? Look at the way she freaks out on Whitney. She's got a lot of strong energy that wants to move through her. So I can imagine this is someone who actually, when those messages were coming in, probably wanted to say, like, back the fuck off like she did with Whitney that probably wanted to move towards someone saying don't tell me I'm bad right but it had nowhere to go so instead she's it's got to like work behind the scenes and undercover and then the self-fulfilling cycle here is that she then believes because I have these parts of me that are duplicitous that are sneaky that tells lies there is something in me that's bad and that can't be seen called out because that's where I'll be exposed and I'll pay a price for it. Is this making sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I, 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 same as you, never been afraid to own up to my dark moments. Never been afraid to say, yes, I did do that because I was intentionally trying to hurt you because I was X, Y, and Z. Like that's something I've always been okay owning up to, but the people that don't ever want to admit any kind of flaw or fault, someone like Heather, who's trying so hard to hold on to an image, what are you hiding? What's down there, honey? What you got? What you got down there that you're keeping from us, from yourself even? And so, and I know a few things that or from her past that she's trying to keep hidden. There was some social media activity that has since been deleted from a while ago Mm. that one of the cast members may have a screenshot of. (laughs) Oh, those screenshots. Is it? Ask a question. Well, I was just going to say, is it, I mean, I'm not, yeah, obviously I I don't want you to reveal anything that does not feel right to reveal. Uh, But I'm curious, is it connected to this, energy that I'm picking up because when you say like a part of herself that can't be seen like for me the flavor of it for Heather is yeah that there is something in her that feels very duplicitous very deceitful like very like I'm gonna get you like in a really deep way vindictive like destructive like that's the word like it just feels dark and I'm curious if this is connected to that it's it's not so the things that uh, the thing that I know about is not an action. It wasn't something she, t- like, it wasn't something she did. Okay. It is um, language she used. Uh, like problematic, politically incorrect language? Uh-huh. Yeah. You- okay. And and it was, prob- it was, and it's also, I've also heard some other things about her that she's, things that she says, things that she does that still is a bit problematic and questionable. Um just it's clearly just kind of how it comes out she's just not deep down i don't think she's as kind-hearted as we think she is right and you know that i mean that's kind of been my point all along because i could also i mean i remember instances of where she says things that are just uh, that's what i'm saying when i said at the beginning she says everything that sounds right that i remember way back when 
I mean, and it's tough to talk about this because her response was actually quite gracious and wonderful. I'm just saying it pinged something for me. Back when the show was like first announced, someone took a cheap shot and made fun of her for looking like a transgender woman or something like that. Um, and she was great. Yes, I saw. I loved that response she had. Yeah, yeah, she had a very beautiful response, which is just like, well, I, you know, what a compliment. Like, I support the LGBTQ. I, I forget exactly what she said, but it was just very non-triggered, very supportive of the trans community, like very, she handled it perfectly. But I tell you, Emily, like, again, from, you from, knew? from the up. intuitive perspective, I just was like, this is so smooth. And I want to be clear about what I'm saying. It's not that people can't have a gracious response. It could have been someone else. And I would have been like, oh, that just feels really gracious. I'm saying with her mm. in particular, it, you know, just like with Brittany, I believe there are perfectly charming uh, naive Southern bells, you know what I mean? Who genuinely have hearts of gold. I just don't think that's Brittany, you know? So yeah, when Heather kind of gave this perfectly worded response, I remember just, it, again, Clara Sentient, it hit my gut. I was just like, something about this, it just feels too perfect to me. So it's just interesting to hear you say that because... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing I kind of want to say about this before we pivot is, and I feel like I spoke to this in a way, but just to really consciously name it, this energy that I'm calling sort of dark and destructive and that I think Heather judges in herself, it's only destructive because of how it's disowned. You know, it's only destructive because it's in the shadows. And like what I would want to... like if. If Heather could own her competition, if she could own her spite, if she could own her contempt, because once she's willing to own those parts of herself and to let to know that energy on a deeper level, to get conscious, she can start to understand one where it comes from inside of her, like why she's making these choices. What is it in her history that she learned that she had to drive this energy underground? But then, like I said, it's like. Heather, to me, I mean, that's the thing. She doesn't feel like a good girl. You know, she feels like, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't know exactly what she feels like, but she, like I said, she's got a lot of strong, powerful energy. She feels Mm -hmm. dark, not in a bad way, in the same way I've got a lot of dark energy and I use it to navigate these women and my clients. Like I hold space for the shadow aspects of people. Heather feels dark and it just feels like, yeah, she wants to be body. She wants to get laid. She wants to swear. So it's just like this energy, it's energy that wants to move in a constructive way. It is only destructive because she judges it. She disowns it. And then it creeps around in the shadows trying to like make everyone pay for the fact that she Mm -hmm. has to be this good girl and she's pissed as hell about it. Totally. I had to write that down. It's only destructive because of how it's disowned. That's a great phrase. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the truth of everything, you know? So, you know, I mean, that's that's a good, that's a good quote for so many things, but it's true. The more you disown something, then it can destruct, but that's exactly it. Oof, that was good. Ooh, I love it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when I work with my clients, a lot of times what I'm supporting them to do is like to, like I'll, I'll support them to consciously own the part of them that, you know, that's outrage, that hates, that makes destructive choices. And they'll so- say to me, but like, wait, why am I, like, I don't want to own, like they'll say, then I'm giving it energy. And I'm always like, no, actually what you're doing is you're owning it to bring it into consciousness and to know this for yourself so that you can then like, like let the energy move and find out what's on the other side. When you resist knowing the power, the pleasure, everything you get out of this, that's when it rules you. You know, it's like what Jesus said, what we resist persists, you know, and it's really true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that Jesus? 
I thought that was Jesus. Is it someone else? I thought that was like a Jesus. Didn't he say? I thought that was an AA phrase. (laughs) Well, AA is very God centered, right? And that's what I'm realizing. I'm like, did did they get that from Jesus? Okay. I thought it was Jesus. I'm attributing it to Jesus. Okay. Well, go Jesus. Um, In honor of LDS, I'm attributing it to Jesus. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, so then shall we pivot to the Whitney stuff? Do you feel like we covered the, um, the Lisa Barlow's dad death of it all? Yes. We got a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of mileage in it. Experience Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in 3D. Scott Lang, you have a daughter. You're an Avenger. But down here, you're out of your league. On February 17th. Kang's a monster. He can shatter existence. An Avenger. I don't care what he can do. I'm getting us home. Must face a conqueror. You may not want her to watch this. I'm sorry, Cassie. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Experience it in 3D. February 17th. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. So, I mean, I'm already... <laughs> I'm getting overwhelmed again. What what do we even say? Where do we even start? So, I actually even DM'd you, I think, when this episode first aired. Because I was initially so confused by how this fight started. What they were even fighting about. And I feel like now that, so what, so what I dropped into on Instagram was Heather's reaction to Whitney disclosing her recovering repressed memories of abuse. Because I know for me, and I know other people felt this as well, because I got DMs about it. Heather's reaction felt a little strange. It didn't feel to me like shock. It didn't feel like concern. Like she, to me, it felt like she was triggered when Whitney was bringing this out. And I really sat with it. And the more that I sat with it, to me, it just started to feel like competition. It felt like... Jealous. Yeah. It's like I've I've positioned myself, as we're discussing, as the bad Mormon who, um, you know, is, is breaking with family tradition and speaking up to the family lies. And like, this is literally what she's cultivated for herself over the last three years. And now here's Whitney. And if, if, if what we're saying is true, she's been doing it in a way that's been very self-serving, very controlling, very calculated, and kind of in a way where it is a, in a mobile house of cars that can't really go anywhere. Right. But it's like her stock and trade in the show and perhaps in life. In comes Whitney. And, you know, to me, I know there are some people who are kind of questioning it. To me, it feels very real. Agreed. Um, and I actually want to say, like, I've actually purposely never talked about Whitney on the podcast before because I've actually, my sense from the beginning has been like, I, it just feels to me like there's some sort of sexual trauma there. Um, mm. So I, it's actually felt great for me to see her like go into this. Like it feels like such a relief that she's clearing this out. And yeah, her journey feels totally real to me. And um, so to see Whitney come into this equation with these memories and this story and she's connected to it and it's emotional and it's raw and it's real. I just kind of felt from Heather, this place of competition of like, wait wait a second, this is my domain. I'm literally writing a book about it. And you're coming in with something that, you know, as Jamie, the way that I hear it is like, I can't hold a candle to this. And like, you're like stealing my thunder right now. And then again, like that frozen place of, I can't even be upset about this. Like I, Mm -hmm. the only place I can be in this is a supportive friend, but something in me is really pissed about this. So, uh, you know, I just kind of want to bring, because once I got clear on that, I mean, again, if I'm right. Um, it started to contextualize a lot more of what happened 
at that trashy lingerie party. Oh, that was exactly what I saw on her face. Oh, she she goes, you yeah. like when she the way she said you was like she wanted to be like, this is my thing. That was what she what, I feel like that was all she could get out was you. That's this like this is what I was supposed to go through was some sort of family trauma revelation type of thing. She's like, you're bringing this in. Damn it. And it's like, not only are you bringing it in, but you're doing it better. Yes. I can't top this. That's exactly what I got. A hundred percent. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, oh no, it was to, to me, it's like, there was no other way to interpret it. So anyone who didn't get that, I'm like how it was, she wasn't <laughs> even good at hiding it guys. What? It was so, like, she was, it was like, Heather, uh, do you want to take two on that? Cause this was really, you, it was, you did not do a very good job in that scene, girl. Well, you didn't even have to drop in for it. You were just like, this is, this is the take. I was like, whoa, girl. Like, she was like, you? Um, okay, why didn't you tell me this off camera and let me know this was going to be your storyline? Because uh, this was kind of my thing this year. Mm-hmm. It was it was very unsupported. She, It's like she didn't even believe her. Uh, yeah. Because it was like, um, no, because I'm doing the fake storyline family thing. Don't you know that? This is my fake storyline. Part of what really came through when I kind of really dropped into it was this kind of contempt for you know what i'm languaging as whitney's sort of messy process and i could really kind of because you know again heather's very controlled and controlling again Mm, if what we're saying is true and then in comes whitney just kind of barreling through like and i think this mess yeah exactly and i think this speaks also to what happened at the lingerie party it's like whitney's getting drunk like whitney is someone who's just not censoring herself i don't think whitney i mean don't get me wrong do i think that whitney colluded in stuff behind the scenes like yes and also by the way i also think whitney part of what she had so much in oh this is so interesting oh i love this okay something just totally came through about like family and pattern Because I was going to say, like, I think part of what Whitney really had in common with Heather is they both had this relationship to being the good girls. And so isn't it in sort of disowning these other aspects of themselves? So isn't it interesting that as Whitney is like reclaiming these aspects of herself that were literally repressed and dormant and she's claiming the truth of her experience? It's like in that place, a fracture is coming in in this old friendship that really very much felt like two young like goody two-shoe hall monitor girls like trying to take down you know like yeah the mean girl in the story that's interesting to me that like Whitney's stepping into something she's stepping into like the adult woman who can kind of look back and say no my inner child like went through some shit I'm claiming it I'm speaking it I'm integrating something within myself I'm not wrong I'm not you know she's been saying this I'm not bad I'm not going to apologize for being you know public strong for who I am I'm not going to be shamed And this is the very moment that now something fractures in her friendship with Heather. I think that's really interesting. Well, okay. So before they go into that trashy lingerie party, Whitney telling her about the the scene they filmed that she filmed with Meredith, right? She's Mm -hmm. like, went over to Meredith's and Meredith brought up there that she's heard rumors. Oh, wait, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. Doesn't she tell Heather about she's telling Heather about that scene that she filmed with Meredith. And then she says, doesn't she tell her about the the rumors about sucking dick for courtside seats? Yeah, see, this is what happens. Whitney kind of gets things confused. So Meredith brought to her the rumor 
I laugh every time. The rumor that Lisa was exchanging sexual favors for Vita Tequila. In response to that, Whitney says, oh, I heard a rumor that she was giving sexual favors for these courtside tickets. Whitney, I think because she was in part because she was drunk and she was just kind of unhinged. She said something along the lines of Meredith said the rumor about the courtside tickets. Meredith clarifies that's not the case. And in this whole clarification process. Oh, right. And so in that. Heather says something like, I've never even heard these rumors because yeah. somehow she got roped into it. And that's when Whitney says, what do you mean? Like you were there when I heard the rumors. Yes, you did. And Heather then says, you're lying, which I think it's just really interesting that that's Heather's response. Not like, oh, you're mistaken or I didn't hear that part or whatever. She's like, you're a liar. That didn't happen. Whitney at that point bristles at being called a liar and says, you're a liar. You were there. This is when Heather gets so spun out. And I mean, I, I rewatched some of it again today. I mean, the way that she screamed, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase, but it ends up her screaming the word like that little nugget. Um, you know, like yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. that little nugget. And, and I just want to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm saying so much all at once. I'm just following my own stream of consciousness, but um, you know, cause a lot of people were still like on Heather's side, quote unquote, after this episode. And I'm just looking at it. I'm like, her reaction was so over the top I mean for me I don't know how I mean it's just regardless of whether Whitney's being messy whether Whitney's misremembering whether Whitney's doing something that's sloppy or unnecessary just the fact that Heather spun out in the way that she did shows something's getting triggered here like this is not a woman who's just in the midst of some simple misunderstanding but what I wanted to say was I was so confused because I was just like look if 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 all Whitney is saying is that you were there when Angie Harrington said this rumor, Whitney's not even saying you repeated it. Whitney's not saying like you got off on it. She's just saying you heard it at the same time that I did. And I was like, mm-hmm. why is this so enraging why does she need to deny it? And so then, and then I was just kind of like piecing together how oh. Heather was showing up elsewhere in the episode. So yeah. like going back, yeah. so this is why this came up because I remember after she yeah. took in Whitney's information, she goes to yeah. Lisa and is like, I just, I forget now the exact text of the scene, but it's like, I just want to give you a heads up and I want to check in on you. Remember when they're at that event where they're dressing up in the traditional and the, and the horses. Yeah. Like Heather made a point. What does to, she give her a heads? Oh, about Meredith. Yeah, like talking about her, right? Yes. Okay, so this it's all coming together for me. So, because again, I was, again, like I said at the top of the episode, I'm like, yeah. I get so confused about holding all the different threats for her because on the one hand, she's like giving Lisa the heads up about Meredith and she seems to not know about any of this. And then on the other hand, she gets so enraged about what Whitney is saying. So for me, once I really kind of dropped in and felt this flavor of like the competition with Whitney around the storyline, I started kind of recontextualizing everything. And this is, this is my kind of working theory. I'm not even going to call it an intuition yet. I'm calling it a working theory, but I want to say it feels like it could really possibly be true. So here we are, right? So Whitney has come in already basically stepping on Heather's toes. I've got this new storyline. I'm recovering repressed memories. This is raw and real. Heather's already kind of triggered around that, right? Yes, yes. Meanwhile, Heather's got this whole thing going on with Lisa. We're we're forging a friendship. We're starting a new leaf. We're starting a new page. You know, and I want to say this feels like part of Heather's 
good girl act. Like I'm moving forward with Lisa. And as we just established, part of this is I'm coming to you with information. I'm giving you the heads up. I'm being the good friend to everyone. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we already have Whitney sort of drunkenly, messily stumbling into her like deeply emotionally devastating family storyline. Now Whitney drunkenly stumbles into this kitchen in her lingerie and is saying, Lisa, I've got this new relationship with you. It's real. It's meaningful to me. I don't want to carry the burden of this. I'm telling you what was said. And so I just think even that right there, I'm like, holy shit. It's another example. Whitney is doing the very thing that Heather says she's doing. Heather's not really doing it, though. For Heather, it's political. Whitney's actually doing it. Whitney's actually forging a bond with Lisa. Whitney's actually taking accountability for something. Whitney's actually giving her a real heads up. And again, doing it in this very kind of messy Whitney way. So that right there, as Heather, I'm kind of clocking that as like another thing that's getting taken from me. And then I feel like where this, like, where I can kind of imagine this all kind of coming together, if Whitney's essentially saying, Heather, you heard this too, you were there, even though I as Jamie don't think that that's a big deal, I -hmm, could imagine mm -hmm. for Heather in the way that she presents herself, there might be a feeling in her of like, oh, if it's coming out that I'm hearing this stuff from Angie Harrington, who, by the way, I'm about to like invite to invents and stuff, and I'm not the one saying it. Whitney's the one saying it. Again, it's, even as I say it, it's like, she's stealing my fucking thunder. She's doing the thing, and she's doing it really messy. And that's why I think that's where the immediate, like, you're a liar came out. It's like, I'm already yep. triggered. And then yep. Whitney's looking at her and saying, you're the liar. Which yep. for me, that starts to tap into all of Heather's narratives and lies. And that's why I think it just became this thing of like, don't you dare call into question what I'm doing. It's almost like Heather in Whitney could see all of her stories, her storylines, her image that she presents unraveling and Whitney just taking it over. And I really feel like that's where a lot of this rage was coming from. I total that's what I was getting from Heather's blatant denial of something that really kind of wasn't that big a deal to admit that you heard from someone else, AKA Angie Harrington, AKA Lisa's nemesis that she's like, Oh yeah, she sucks that guy's dick for courtside seats. (laughs) Not that big a deal that you were present for that rumor that you heard it from. But I feel like admitting Heather, Heather being called out that she's been near Angie Harrington talking shit was probably one of Heather's biggest secrets that she wasn't ready to reveal because I'm sorry. They, they, I know they've been talking shit about Lisa because they basically admitted that at the reunion. Oh yeah. They they admitted it. Yeah. They're like, all we basically do is sit around talking shit about you. But then right before they go into the dinner, as they're getting ready, mind you, they've been drinking a lot all day. So Whitney was already clearly wasted. Whitney's like, I'm going to tell Lisa all about all the rumors we've been talking about behind her back. And Heather's like, not a good idea. Please don't do that. And I think she thought that they had like an agreement that they weren't going to talk about that tonight. And But there's a moment in the kitchen. Whitney's gone outside with Jen and Meredith. They're doing the barbecue. There's a moment in the kitchen with Heather and Lisa where she's like, let's just go to bed early tonight. And I got a sense of her wanting to end the night. 
I got a sense of her wanting it to stop because she's like, fuck, I really don't want Whitney to do what she wants to do. Well, it's interesting you say that because when the Malay broke out and I should have like taken notes so I could really pinpoint it. But I remember because there was all this confusion again about who said what, because again, Whitney was kind of blurring things. And there was this moment where Heather, it was, it reminded me a lot of how Tamara used to operate on OC, uh, very Lisa Vanderpumpish as well, where she was like, oh, you two need to go and talk and figure this out. I don't, I forget who it was. It was like. Meredith and Lisa but there was a way that she was trying to push two people out of the room to sort something out amongst themselves that to me had a real flavor of I'm trying to kind of separate the camps (laughs) I'm trying to get myself out of this and I'm trying to like there was a way in which it just felt like she was spinning the confusion to kind of keep things confused and to misdirect. And the other thing that I'll say too that really struck out of me, and this harkens back to what I was saying earlier, how as soon as uh, Heather's getting challenged, what does she do? She immediately looks across the table to Jen and she starts mouthing, this was supposed to be about, uh, this was supposed to be about you. This is supposed to be about your night. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, look at it. You are immediately finding, like mm-hmm. you are making Whitney the bad guy. Like you're finding a new bad guy. You're colluding with someone. And again, to me, it's like, it also muddies the waters too. It's like, it feels like both a smoke screen and it feels like throwing a target on someone. And I was just like, here it is. Heather can't, I really think I'm onto something with this notion of her version of good has to be defined in opposition to something that's bad, whether it's within herself or it's out on the outside. And it's kind of like what I'm always saying about, how I always felt like she became so close to Jen last season as a way to show that she was a better friend than Lisa. It's like, it's like the second her goodness is called into question or she wants to prove something, it has to be in relationship to someone else doing something wrong, doing something bad and not being as good, kind and thoughtful as she is because Whitney's ruining your weekend. I get this is supposed to be about you which, Absolutely. Which then brings us back to, you've lost me forever. Which, again, to me, the subtext of that is, you're missing out on how fucking good I am. I mean, there's the rage around her goodness. You've lo- you're fucking paying a price. I'm punishing you by withholding my amazing goodness. I mean, that right there just shows how she wields her quote-unquote goodness like a weapon, like a, I mean, she totally weaponizes it. There's a price to pay. You owe her. Mm-hmm. What was her plan too? Like, did she really think she could have some sort of bridge built with Lisa and also have Angie Harrington coming around? Like that was not going to work. Well, this is the question. So, I mean, should we, I mean, I feel like we've gotten so deep into Heather. Should we just kind of fast forward now to that scene with Whitney and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it's like for me, there's this question. I always have this. Qu- I mean, with all of them, I have this question. But definitely with Heather, I have this question of you know how much. Again, if we're right about a lot of what we're saying, like how much of this is a conscious, how much of this is unconscious, how much is she consciously aware of? And again, even in this episode, when I first watched it, I found myself confused because yes, I was so alarmed by Heather's huge reaction. But then in her interviews, when she was saying, like, what's the big deal about blowies? I'd give a blowy for a hamburger. Like, yeah. again, I was just like, God, she's so charming here. And maybe she, I, I was just so confused. You know what I mean? So, yep. again, I'm holding all these threads. And so then we fast forward to this 
sit down that she and Whitney have at her house. And for me, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but for me, the defining moment of the sit down was when Whitney said, Justin got fired and I didn't hear from you. And Heather, like literally her jaw drops. She acts shocked, claims she didn't hear this. And I'm just sitting there, sitting to myself, thinking to myself, there, there's just no way. I mean, what? Everyone heard. I heard about it. I knew. I mean, you are best friends, cousins, filming a show together in production. It's plastered all over Instagram. You're telling me you didn't see it. You didn't hear about it. And so I'm sitting there and then I'm looking at the way literally her jaw drops. She acts shocked. And so for me in this place where I'm pretty much assuming that she's lying. Yeah. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself. Why? Because she's had other moments like that before where her jaw drops. And again, as I, I, even though I'm intuitive and even with someone like Heather, who I'm skeptical about, there's always a sp- because I cannot imagine putting on a show like that. Mm. I, I, I just I, it's like I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. And be like, well, she wouldn't act that shocked if it weren't true. So when I saw that moment, that was the moment where something really clicked for me around. Holy shit. How deceptive is this woman and how much of an act is she willing to put on? And again, how aware is she that these are lies in the moment? You somehow brought something in about her level of, oh, oh, you were asking about how did she think this was going to work befriending Lisa, yes. but also bringing Angie Harrington Bringing around. in Angie Harrington. And so there's just, I think my kind of non-conclusive response to your question is I'm just starting to wonder just how, again, how lost in her own hall of mirrors is she, you know, how much is she not thinking things through? How much of she, how much of Heather is just like acting in the moment and just saying what needs to be said? I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, but she's feeling unhinged to me this season. Like she says when when she starts victimizing herself, she's like, I'm sorry I didn't see this online. I'm sorry that I'm not well versed in the gossip mill. And it just kind of reminded me of when they were at that dinner, the final night in Scottsdale, Arizona, where Whitney and Heather get into it again over dinner. And Heather said something that I thought was so telling, where previously it was like, I wasn't there for that. I didn't hear that. It didn't happen regarding the the rumors around the courtside tickets. She suddenly says something like, I'm sorry that when like a rumor comes in, that's just so disgusting and reprehensible. I block it out because I don't want to hear that kind of thing. She said something like that. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, wait a yes. second. That's yes. a whole different story that you're spinning right now. And how yeah. convenient that it sets you up as someone who's so pure of heart yes. that when you yes. hear a salacious rumor, you block, oh, you just block it, out. it out. Oh, my word. I just block it out. I don't listen to that. Come on. And so then when she said, I'm sorry, I don't pay enough attention to the rumor mill. Like to me, it just had a oh. similar flavor of like you're 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 lying about these things like Mm -hmm. you you've heard these things and again your story is changing and now you're suddenly and again she does that manipulative thing to Whitney that she did to Lisa where you know Whitney's just trying to have an honest conversation with her and she immediately makes it I mean you're telling me I'm this horrible friend which no Whitney never said that and then she's storming out of the room and so again for me it's just like the second anything comes in that in any way confronts Heather with the possibility of like her machinations, 
There's just mm-hmm. something so it, it actually feels really fragile. There's something so fragile in her that can't tolerate it or take it. And again, she just shuts it down. Um, yeah. So, you know, the final point I'll make about all this. And again, this is why I want to do this episode. I, 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 you know, it's like, I don't know where to land about <laughs> Heather's kind of emotional wellness, mental wellness, but I, I just have questions about how cognizant is she about the tales she's spinning, the lies she's saying, her inconsistencies. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was real, real fucked up to put it in layman's terms. Okay. Real <laughs> fucked up when, when Whitney says to her, that she's had this issue about the whole not reaching out during, you know, when Justin was fired, but Heather says, but you had a whole dance routine and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, well, you know, yeah, you had an event. I want to be supportive and show up. And she goes, Oh, Oh, well, so, so you get to show up to my event and be the, be the hero. And I look like the asshole. Oh, that's where you went with that. Oh, and not only that, there was an additional layer, which was you showed up to this and I didn't even know you were harboring all this hatred towards me. Like it was, it's just so interesting because Whitney's basically saying, Heather, I'm living in a more nuanced place where I understand there's conflict. Yeah. And I care about you. I'm showing up. I'm trusting we're going to get through this. And I had good intentions. And Heather, and let me also express what I'm disappointed in. And Heather, yeah, immediately spins it into, oh, so you, like, again, this sort of almost childlike, emotionally immature, yeah. black or white binary thinking of, oh, you are harboring hatred towards me. Meanwhile, like being fake at the audition, which, you know, in the spirit of projection, I think it's interesting. This is how she's interpreting Whitney. You know, this is what Whitney was doing. Perhaps this is a lot of projection. Yeah. Perhaps Heather harbors hatred and goes and does things, Uh you know, in a fake way. Uh And then to your point, um, yeah, what you just brought in about I'm the horrible friend, you know, it's just, it's, it's, she immediately spins out with things that aren't being said so that she can victimize herself, martyr herself, shut down the conversation, and then flee the room. It's Projection is the perfect word for Heather. That's what I noticed. Um, Kyle does this on Beverly Hills where they have the, they have paranoias about things they do. So, like, Kyle would be paranoid that this is a setup. This is a setup. You guys are setting me up to be the bad guy. It's like, oh, wow, that's what you clearly do all the time. So Heather's like, okay, so you were, you get to be the hero and I'm the asshole. Or, you know, like, I'm just, you, you know, you harboring all this resentment towards me, but you went to the event and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's clearly what you do. So she's done this a few times. So clearly Heather knows how narratives are spun and how to spin them. And so she's doing that in her mind yeah yeah and and again i mean I, you're basically saying this but it's just so interesting to look at the narrative she's speaking to where she's the one framing things in terms of the hero and the asshole again yep. I, you know, i'm going back to my thing of my goodness is defined in opposition of badness it's it's either yeah. or one defines the other as opposed to like an integrated whole which again that's just why i think it's so interesting that whitney's integrating herself and now there's a fracture in their relationship because it can't tolerate the integration. And isn't it interesting that Heather still hasn't asked, how are you doing, by the way, Whitney? It's shocking. Like her lack of, I mean, let's just say Whitney was totally out of control and, you know, making horrible messes and inappropriate, which I don't, you know, that's, I don't see it that way. But let's just say, I mean, to not as her best friend and cousin, 
to want to give her the grace of, oh, you're recovering repressed memories of like sexual abuse. Let me let me give you some grace there. And so to me, it just kind of confirms that there's something in her that just uh, deeply resents I this. I like do you not I don't even think she believes her. I think she's like, I cannot take this in. I like, which makes me feel like even that's a projection. Like, then are you making your family shit up, Heather? Well, because like, mm-hmm. it's like, girl, why don't you even believe your friend, your your cousin over here? She's telling you she's repressed childhood memories of sexual abuse or childhood abuse. She's telling you that. And here she is telling you yet again your behavior in Arizona was really hurtful. And she's like, yes, I made a lot of mistakes in Arizona. And you still haven't said, how are you doing? Not one time. I'm telling you, I think, I think because she's making up her, some of her family stuff. Well, I think, I think that, and another layer I would bring into it too. It's almost like, I don't, I think part of her also doesn't want to believe it because if she believes it, it's like, then she has to, yeah, she has to soften. She has to kind of mm-hmm. surrender to this. And I think there's something in her that's so deeply, I think she is so pissed. And again, going yeah. back, going back to kind of what I was saying about her judgment of how dark she can get. Cause I mean, I mean, I'm actually smiling cause it's, it, it, again, it's so human. It's so human, but it's like to be pissed and resentful at someone for their recovered memories of abuse because it steps on your storyline. Like superficially, there's nothing. I mean, you can't get pettier than that. You can't get more spiteful than that. You can't get uglier than that. And the reason why I say I'm smiling, I'm like, because it's so human. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. If Heather were willing to become conscious of that and to own it, that's the place where she starts to get exploring, well, okay, why am I so resentful? And why am I creating these storylines? And, you know, what is this in me? And it's going to take her somewhere. You know, again, it's just her humanity. But I think that, yeah, like I think Heather, like all of us, but I think with Heather, she can get somewhere really dark and ugly. And yep. um, that's that's the piece I think that she it's like she protects it. Like, it's like no one can see it. No one can have have that on me. If people know this about me, I'm screwed. It's like I'm lost. It's also interesting, too, because in, in the spirit of projection, it's like going back to last year and last year's reunion, you know, just seeing how Heather did love the fact that Lisa Barlow had that moment, you know, where something slipped and, you know. Loved it. Oh, my God. She loved it. And so, again, kind of in the spirit of, you know, Heather really sort of projecting her own pathology on others. It's like, yeah, are you kind of using Lisa's human moment against her? Because this is, yeah, the flavor of what was done to you and what you fear being done to you. You know, if people see this, the part of me that could actually resent my cousin for recovering memories memories of abuse because it invades my story. Like, you know, I don't want this weaponized against me. You know? Yep. Because that's my lived experience at some point in my life, or at least I got the message that that's what could happen. And so now I'm doing it to others, you know? So it's, it's interesting. So I I guess my last question for you is the question that I kind of keep bringing in. And I know there's not a concrete answer, but I'm curious for you, when you kind of feel into Heather's various inconsistencies and her emotional fragility and the way she shuts things down and the lies, where are you in terms of sensing her sense of, you know, what we might call reality, 
how aware she is of herself and what she's doing, how lost she may or may not be in her own hall of mirrors. Like, what do you think is her degree of consciousness when it comes to all this stuff? It's a great question. Oh gosh. I, I get a lot. If when I, when you ask me the first instinct is denial, just the first word that came into my head. So I don't think it's, I don't think she's very conscious of it. I feel like she's, I get defensive. I get denial. That's like, those are the first words that come to my head. Did you hear what happened at BravoCon with Jen Shaw? You mean that she tried to crash it and then was in Tamara's hotel room and. And then how, cause, cause Heather brought Heather, Jen was staying with Heather in Heather's hotel room. I mean, the, the, the balls on, on Jen, it's, it's insane. Yeah. The, lack- well, the balls on Heather too. Heather brought Jen knowing that Jen was specifically not invited. And when they arrived, producers and whatnot were pissed at Heather. Like, what the fuck are you doing? We told you she's not invited. So Heather being a good two shoes was like, oh, I'll just. So what she did was she with all of Jen's stuff in the room, she did like the top latch on the hotel. So even when even though Jen had a key, she couldn't get into the hotel room. So they went to Tamara's room to party and then there was like an after party like upstairs on like the roof or whatever and when they went because heather didn't go to that so when jen came back down to get into the room she couldn't so jen and one of her like gay best friends they were trying to call heather and heather was not answering all night long so they had to find someone else someone else's room to crash in for a few hours at like five in the morning the next day, couldn't get a hold of Heather. Couldn't get a hold of Heather. I mean, how not that crazy not to be able to... Finally, mm-hmm. finally gets a hold of Heather. The, the gay bestie is like, finally got a hold of Heather. She's like, you can go get her stuff out of the room. Jen can't stay in the room. I, I don't understand the intention of locking her out of the room. Because that... I don't BravoCon's not in her hotel room. Like, you're saying Bravo got mad at her. And so for her, there was a knee-jerk reaction of let me separate myself from her. And then rather than even just maturely saying to Jen, hey, it's a bad look for me to be with you, I'm just going to lock you out of the room. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. and Because I didn't believe this, mind you. The the gay best friend posted this and someone sent it to me, who's who's someone I get a lot of information from. And I thought she was sending it to me to be like, look at this ridiculous story kind of thing. As I was like, okay, sure. Because it sounded just so ludicrous. Like none of it sounded right. And so I replied saying that, like, this sounds ludicrous. This is ridiculous, right? So silly. And she goes, no, this happened. And I was like, wait, what? Okay, but listen, okay, it's even worse. (laughs) So then Jen tells this guy, what's, this is what to get from the room. So get my suitcases and there's two pairs of sunglasses, a black pair and a red pair. You know, it's going to go bad, right? So this guy grabs the wrong red pair of sunglasses Heather then calls when she gets back to the room and she's like, you stole my fucking red, whatever sunglasses that are like designer sunglasses. And he's like, I thought they were Jen's. She's like, we'll return them and screaming at him, mad at him. This is according to him, obviously, but still Heather would not associate with Jen. When BravoCon was over, Heather then spoke to Jen and was like, Hey girl, Hey. And arranged for them to fly back together so this this friend was like i don't think heather's a real friend she's only friends for the optics but once once it, when it really matters and when jen needs someone yada 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 that's this is the real heather type of deal 
Well, it's so interesting you're saying this because, yeah, I mean, there are things I've heard too. And to your point, I, I've had the exact same reaction where I hear some of these kind of outlandish tales. And my initial response is, this is crazy. And are you lying? Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I really call into question. And so it's just interesting. It's interesting to hear you bringing in a tall tale and to hear you that you had the same response of this sounds absurd. So it's like the more that I hear right, other people are having this experience, it's sort of lending credibility to the idea that, you know, I mean, and, and actually when I say this, I, I want to be clear. Like I actually, it, it does make me feel um, compassion for her because if, if, if she really is this, I'm trying to think of a generous word. If, 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 if things are this out there, you know, obviously things are off, you know, and she's struggling and, you know, that's not a happy place to be. Um, and this is why I brought in this question in the first place, even though, yes, there's a spirit of kind of fun and playfulness I'm bringing into this because it's a TV show and I'm watching the TV show. You know, I really did want to name all these inconsistencies and whatnot, because to me, they're glaringly obvious. And I just feel like this is in the text. You know, unlike Heather's ski day, this stuff is in the text. And it just feels important if we're going to be exploring Salt Lake City and everything that's happening this season. Like, we've got to acknowledge that she seems to be unraveling in front of our eyes this season. Yeah. And when you ask about her level of consciousness, I don't think it's very high because it doesn't, I don't get the feeling that she's aware of it. And it's, and it's like, I just don't get it. I don't get self-awareness from her. I don't get, I don't get, I get self-awareness when it's social, socially and socially convenient or socially acceptable. You know, like we all know, like being self-deprecating right. is like socially acceptable. We like that. You know, we like that kind of shit. But to she is not really in touch with what her true darkness is, I don't think. And if and she's afraid of it is what I get. That's the vibe I get. Well, also, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, that's something that I've been bringing in. But I think what you're helping me to also bring in a different layer now where it's like, I think I think there's that core layer of I'm so scared to know my own darkness and to know this about mm -hmm. myself. But in this place where she has perhaps constructed this whole kind of hall of mirrors, house of cards around it, and there's perhaps kind of like a real fragility there, it's almost like if I let myself know this darkness, not only do I risk knowing myself as a quote unquote bad person, but if I'm fragile there, it's kind of like then the house of cards really is toppling down because they're really, I mean, again, it's like it actually feels a little painful to say this, like as we're exploring this. And I really don't mean this in a, in a light way. Like there might really be some mental issues here. You know, I mean, she might, if, if these things are true, like she might really need some help. So it would make it even more of a possible threat, you know, to kind of like, like her literal sanity, like her sense of sanity, her sense of reality as she's constructed it. You know what this reminds me a lot of? Did you watch Love is Blind? No. Oh, Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just taking that in for you because I feel like you would get a lot out of it. Um, what, so what I'll just, cause I know a lot of my listeners watch love is blind, but without yes, going, go, go ahead, without going into details, there was like this hugely controversial reunion episode to this latest season. Ooh, there was this one couple. Tell me, I want to hear it. Okay, well, you know, I guess there was this one couple who was very toxic. The guy was kind of just this immature, um, 
oblivious sort of aloof dude bro and he was with this very kind of high strung very deeply insecure older woman i mean he's like 25 she's like early 30s and she's got body image issues anyways so at the reunion she accused him she basically was saying you are so lucky you got an amazing edit they left out the worst parts of you they didn't show when you tried to control what i ate when you body shamed me when you did all this stuff and he he was basically like i'm blindsided by this i have no idea what you're talking about like this is nuts and like when did this happen and then she references a specific moment where it happens where she was eating these two small tangerines and he shamed her for it and was like, oh, you're going to eat both of those? Like, you know, and really like that you're going to spoil your appetite. And she presented it in a very specific light. And again, he was kind of incredulous. And he literally said, like, roll the tape, you know. And it, it actually, like, there's a parallel here to Salt Lake City, whereas the rest of the cast, most of them, it's clear they had all decided like he was this villain they were all you know, oh so they agreed okay yeah they were all on her side you know they were very much colluding with her it was he was like in the lisa barlow position basically at this reunion okay so what's crazy about this is the reunion ends and then right when it's ending a title card comes up that's like basically the tangerine scene and the the producers present us with the scene of what happened and, it, it, and it's really interesting because it's this long kind of like unedited scene that you don't normally see in love is blind where they really let you see the context of everything that leads up to it and so you know basically what happened i mean look it, it's such a loaded issue because there's so much ingrained into it you know on both sides but basically what happens is you know this is my take this is my perspective but it's also I the love pers- this this is so fun it's the perspective of a lot of people where basically you know when you watch it what you essentially see is that it is clear to me and to a lot of other people, it seems clear that he really was just asking innocent. Like that basically they were about to go to this big dinner and they were about to have these big steaks. And he was sort of being playful in the scene and he was trying to support her about other things. And they're eating chips. And then she brings out two tangerines and he's like, oh, you're going to, you're peeling those tangerines. You're going to eat both of those. Like save room for tonight. We're going to have these big steaks. In fairness of presenting the context, they had issues prior to this where he did say some problematic stuff. She was always deeply insecure in the relationship. He made her feel unattractive. So there's like history and context, right? Got it. But basically what you sort of see when you watch the scene is like, oh my God, not that she's intentionally trying. I believe she really believes her about it I don't think she was purposely trying to vilify this guy I don't think she you know because people are out there being like oh you're a gaslighter you're a manipulator I don't think any of this was conscious on her part I think through her filter of her Mm. own insecurities her I think she might have an eating disorder you know her eating disorder her body issues um they're 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 pre their their toxicity that predated this moment through those lenses there was an impact it had on her and she took it a certain way that she believed to be true. But it's just so Mm -hmm. interesting because when you watch it from the outside, you see a different story. And so I guess Mm -hmm. I'm just bringing this in because to me, I thought about it all night. It just demonstrated the power of how we see things from inside of ourselves, the lenses that we look at it through. And on some level, it feels like such an oversimplified thing to say, because of course we all know we have our lenses, but that moment I think really illustrated, like there is a way those lenses can really accumulate and perhaps really distort 
what's coming in. And so just to kind of like bring this all back around, it just makes me think of Heather. And it's like, if she's constructed a reality that on some level, she believes this stuff, you know what I mean? She believes in these lies that she's telling her. She believes that Lisa's tweet is like a devastation to everything because she's filtering this through like decades of whatever kind of stories she's been telling herself. I imagine to dismantle stuff like that, it probably needs to happen really slowly mm-hmm. and carefully. Cause it feel, I mean, even as I'm saying like something's bracing in my heart and I'm like, this feels kind of, it's an interesting contrast because it feels fragile and delicate. And yet the energy in Heather that wants to come through feels so like strong and powerful and dominating. So it feels like both things at once, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's deep. Oh yeah. It's real deep. I love Lisa Barlow. I mean, look, you're preaching to the Lisa Barlow choir, <laughs> but you know, I'll her. leave that alone. Cause I don't want to be too, uh, too biased. Emily, I actually, you know, I came into this saying it was going to be kind of step one of two and kind of like a prologue and who knows where we'll get to. I actually feel like we really got to a lot of places. I felt like it was Ooh. exhaustive. Um, people don't know this, but I was telling Emily beforehand that I was wiped out and I didn't quite know how I was going to navigate this. And I found this to be so fun and energizing. So thank you for coming on this ride with me. Was there any final thoughts that you had? No, I think I kind of gave those final thoughts about her. I think that was the the wrap up was that her level of consciousness is not very high and it's going to take a minute for, I don't know what it would take a lot to get her to see her truth. Well, again, I mean, just going back to that kind of quote unquote borderline thing. I mean, yeah, when you have someone who immediately kind of flies into that kind of rage and immediately buffers against anything that's coming in and then storms out of a room. I mean, it's it's like for me, the first task would even just to be to get Heather to stay in her body for her feet to stay on the floor, to not leave the room as like you would, I like for me as a facilitator, if I were there with her and Whitney, where I would go with this, it's like literally slowing it down so much that we just start with the, the one first statement that Whitney said, which by the way, I think she did bristle over. Whoa. Oh, she said, Whitney said something like, Oh, I was so sad. Cause I was driving over here and thinking, Oh, why am I chasing Heather down? That right oh. there oh. sparked something. So it was like, if I were facilitating something between them, it's like, we need, we can't even get into what happened in Arizona. We are Let's dealing with this that. one statement in Heather. <laughs> yes. Like you need to breathe, slow down yep. and let's yep. create safety for you to start taking in what's happening. It's almost like yeah. she can't even let herself organize what's happening inside of herself. Because mm-hmm. again, if she starts to get clarity about what's happening inside of herself, guess what? Mm-hmm. That's a one way ticket to ultimately knowing her own negative mm-hmm. intention. And that's, again, mm-hmm. that's the thing she's been protecting against all this time. So, you know, I, again, I'm, I, I, I am really feeling my compassion for her. It's like, there's, she does yeah. not have an easy task ahead of her. No, yeah, no, she does. It's not, this is, but Oh my God, like the Heather we would get once she has that breakthrough would be so interesting because she is likable, charming, funny, smart, totally. and perceptive. Yeah, exactly. Like she could be so fun. You know, totally. Cause she's all those things. Like I would absolutely imagine when you meet Heather, you're like, she's awesome. Like she, like if you were like at a bar and you met Heather, you'd be like this, she's cool. She's funny. Uh. So imagine like the Heather we could get if she was like, here I am imperfect, like for real imperfect, raw, 
on a on a healing journey like Whitney, like it would be it would be cool. But it's going to take a lot. It's going to be a big adventure, and it's got to. She's got to have a lot of courage to go there. Yeah, and just like how powerful would it be for her? I mean, I mean, truly, and I'm saying this not just like in terms of for her hypothetically, but for people listening, it's like to be the woman if she could come out and literally like the power of owning. You know what? I resented you for your trauma story, and it was dark yeah, and it was ugly right? of me. And I'm sorry. Like that's Ooh. fucking powerful. Like I don't like this about yes. myself. And I did that. Like, I did that. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. That's the power. What's exactly what you just said. Owning shit like that is more powerful than all of the acting out around trying to hide it. I feel like Lisa's really been trying to do that, you know, with her just saying like, yeah, you know, I said this, I did it. And, (laughs) you know, so it's like. You know, but I also have to imagine where these women are in particular in terms of like LDS, um, uh-huh. maybe even Salt Lake City. You know, I mean, I can, I mean, yeah. just looking at these games that the Harringtons are playing, I have to imagine this is not a culture Ugh. that's really supported. You know, I, again, it feels like it's a culture where your humanity does get weaponized against you. And if you're someone mm-hmm. who comes out and says, yes, I did this. That, yeah, it's a culture that can really huh. turn that against you. You know, we're, That's I mean, good I, point. I'm not in L.A. right now, but you and I are usually L.A. neighbors. You know, I think it's more of a, you know, it's more of a place, I think, where you can own, own the dark That's side a, good a little point. bit, you know. That's a good point. Much more forgiving. All right, Emily. Where can people find you? What where should they look for you? Tell us everything. You can find me. I am She Speaks Bravo with Emily Hanks over on every podcast platform available and also on YouTube if you like the video versions. And you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at She Speaks Bravo. And while you guys are talking about this, please, if you haven't already, rate Jamie on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, five-star ratings and reviews are the best things in the world. And they benefit everyone because it helps the algorithm. And then the more popular your favorite podcast gets, the more content they can produce. So it's a win-win for everyone. And you can follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N as discussed. I do create specific content for Instagram. And like I said, I'm on it. TikTok now. I believe my handle is Housewives Empath. So please follow me there because um, I'm just getting that going. And as always, if you're interested in my work, if you want a safe space to explore your dark side that perhaps you are afraid of, um, go to my website. And if you're interested in my work, email me at hollywoodreadings.com. And yeah, the holidays are coming up. So I believe my December is almost full. So yeah, if you're feeling a spark towards this work and are wanting to do something that might help you in the new year, definitely reach out and get on the calendar. All right, everyone. Like I said, this was such a, actually a surprisingly fun episode. Thank you again. Oh, for, yay. Yeah. Thank you for being here and I will see you guys all on the flip side. Bye. Bye. Bye.